Hey, super grateful for all the money we raised at Vacation Bible School a couple weeks ago. That's why I have the pink mohawk. And I also had to get tarred and feathered. I love this kid right here. He's like, I can't let any of that perfectly good tar go to waste. <laughs> um, that actually was not that bad. But I got to tell you a little bit about the, the, the pillory here. At first, I was like, no big deal. You know, I can stand in this pillory and, and I can take whatever hits these kids have to throw at me. And, and then the hits came, and they just kept on coming. And I, I got to be honest, it started to hurt a little while. And I turned to my torturer, Ann Weimer, who's our children's director, and I said, okay, can we be done now? And she's like, no, there, there's still a lot more kids that want to throw stuff at you. And the line just kept getting longer and longer. And there was like this one kid, I think he was there. I think he threw 100 balls at me. And he just kept on showing up. Uh, to the point where, yeah, I was like, this, this is terrible. Can we, can we please move on? Can we, can we do something else? But it was a lot of fun, and uh, I'll, I'll wear a pink mohawk anytime you want me to if it means we can raise money for a worthy cause like the, uh, the food pantry. Um, but this is a little bit of a funny illustration, but today I, I want to talk about something maybe a little bit serious, more serious. What do you do when life pillarizes you? This is actually a real word. It means when you end up in the pillory and people just throw stuff at you and you get tortured, right? What do you do when you find yourself being squeezed? What do you do when you're experiencing a painful season of life? And in my example, I knew there was going to be an end to it. In about 15 minutes or so, I would be done. But in some of your situations, you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel and you don't know when this season is going to come to an end. It could be a season of singleness. It could be a difficult marriage, difficult parenting season, difficult job, and it's, it's pillarizing you, and the hits just keep on coming. Maybe you're here, and you've got one hand on the doorknob, and you're about to leave faith altogether because you cannot reconcile how a good God could allow so much suffering to occur, either in your life or your family's life or even in the world. Maybe you're here today and there's just one person who's just making your life difficult and they don't even know it. But every time you see that person, maybe it's at home, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in the community, it just feels like you're getting pillarized by them. <laughs> what do you do when life pillarizes you? This is the question that we're going to deal with today. And the Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 15. So we've been going through the book of Romans for the past few months. Today we'll look at 15, 1 through 6. Next week we'll look at Romans 16 and we'll finish it off. But today we're going to look at Romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 6. And Paul's going to answer this question in this passage that we're going to look at. So here's how he starts out chapter 15. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I love the first verse because it summarizes my sermon from two weeks ago in Romans 14, and it also summarizes my sermon from last week. So two weeks ago, we looked at Romans 14, and there was this rivalry going on in the church between the strong and the weak. And the weak was mostly made up of Jewish Christians who had scruples, right? They, they had hesitations when it came to uh, partaking in certain actions, and specifically it was kosher food, you know, like bacon and pork and shellfish, and it was working on the Sabbath. So these Jewish Christians had scruples, and they said, for us, 
we can't partake in that. And some of them were actually judging other people who decided to engage in those practices. So you have the weak versus the strong. And the strong would be people like the Apostle Paul who said, Christ, when he died, he put an end to the law and we are no longer under the law. But Paul says, you strong people, you need to bear with the failings of the weak. This word bear is also used by Paul in Galatians 6 2 when he says, bear with one another or carry each other's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ meaning love one another or carry one another's burdens. So he says, you know, stop arguing, stop fighting, bear with each other's burdens. If you have a neighbor who's weak, who's sensitive, love that person. Be willing to lay down some of your Christian liberties if it means loving on that person. And he says, this, this, this is about not pleasing other people, right? This is about honoring God. If we go back to last week's sermon, the purpose of life is not to please yourself, but to please God, right? And then he goes on in verse 2, and he says, each of us should please his neighbor for, for his good, for his neighbor's good, not, not your own good. It's not about you. Sometimes you've got to sacrifice your comfort to build him up, to build him up. And then he gives this best example of all, for even Christ did not please himself. You look at the ministry of Christ, his purpose was to please God, to please God the Father. He knew as God the Son, my purpose in life is whatever I see the Father doing, I'm doing it. Because my aim in life, my purpose in life is to please the Father. And you have this moment at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry where he gets baptized and he goes under the water. And then when he comes up out of the water, Mark records that a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And I, I have to believe that the son, Jesus in that moment was like, that feels really good for my father to say to, to me, I am well pleased with you. That, that's got to feel good because that's my aim is to please my father. Right? So a, a while back, my son Daniel got baptized and I was so proud of him. And I said, so proud of you. That, that pleases me that you, you know, you got up in front of everybody and you went under the water. It's a little bit, little bit embarrassing to get baptized, get all wet in front of everybody, but, but I'm proud of you for doing that. And then I think I took him out for dinner. I did something nice for him. Well, you know what the father did to Jesus after he got baptized? The spirit <laughs> at once sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days fasting, being tempted by Satan. That's what Jesus got <laughs> as he pleased the Father. Now, some of you are like, oh, that sounds so good to, to be out in the wilderness for 40 days. That'd be amazing to be away from all the people who are pillarizing me. But without food and to be tempted by Satan, so he goes out and he deals with a season of suffering to prepare himself for his public ministry. So back to Romans 15, Paul says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So the Apostle Paul directly quotes Psalm 69, written a thousand years before Christ, and he applies that to Christ. He says, you know, Jesus looked at Psalm 69, and, and the insults of those who insult God the Father have fallen on me, God the Son. And here's the part where the Apostle Paul gives us some advice, gives us some wisdom. 
of what are you to do when life pillarizes you? What are you to do when life gets difficult? We could probably go up and down the the room today and and come up with 50 things that we could do when we're going through a difficult season. But Paul just addresses one of them, and I think it's going to help you. Here's what he says. For everything that was written in the past, there was a purpose for it. It was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So Paul says, when you're going through a difficult time, one of the things that you can do is look to the Scriptures, and he's specifically referring to the Old Testament Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures, because when you read their stories and their experiences of suffering, it'll give you encouragement, and it'll help you to endure when you're being pillarized. So I came up with a big idea statement. It's this, reading the OT brings encouragement in your pillory, right? Studying the the Jewish scriptures, the, the Old Testament, the saints of old that are described in the Old Testament brings us encouragement in the middle of our difficult time. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I just want to give you three examples of this. And as we go through the experiences of these three Old Testament writers, these three Old Testament characters, you're going to be encouraged by their experience. So the first one I want to look at is Psalm 69, because this is specifically the passage that the Apostle Paul was referring to, or that he's specifically quoted here. So the psalmist writes this. He says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. In other words, I feel like I'm drowning right now. I feel like completely overwhelmed. I feel like I can't even move because things are so difficult. I am worn out calling help, and my eyes fail looking for my God. You ever feel like that? Where you're like, I'm just worn out right now, and I feel like I'm up to my neck, and I've called out to God to help me, and I don't even know where he is. I can't hear him, and I don't know what he's doing. You ever feel like that? He goes on. He says, you know my folly, oh God. My guilt is not hidden from you. I'm not perfect, right? I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I acknowledge that. You know, in some cases, we end up in the pillory because of some things that we've done. We acknowledge that, but but still, it's 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 painful. In some cases, you're in the pillory, and it's it's not because you've done anything wrong at all, but you find yourself there, and you're not getting any answers, and you're not hearing from God. And, and, and then it gets even worse because he says, may, may those who's hoping you not be disgraced because of me. I've had this experience before, like as a pastor, where I think to myself, I'm going through a, a situation right now that's, that's, that's kind of painful, or I read a, a section of scripture that I don't understand, but I'm a little bit afraid to tell somebody else because then I don't want to lead them astray. I don't want to disgrace them, or if I if I lose my cool in a certain situation because I'm a little bit emotionally depleted. I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to disgrace the name of God. That's what the psalmist is wrestling with right now. And then he goes on, he says, for zeal for your house consumes me. Like I'm passionate about the temple of God, specifically Psalm 69. And then the, the phrase that I highlighted in yellow is what Paul specifically applies to Jesus in Romans 15. And the insult of those who insult 
Jesus or insult Jesus have fallen on Jesus. If I could illustrate it like this, here's Christ on the cross, not only experiencing the insults of the Roman soldiers who nail him to the cross and mock him with a robe and a crown of thorns, but also the religious leaders and all of the passerbys, all of the people who say, you saved, you saved others, you can't even save yourself? I mean, come on, what kind of king are you? And then he says this, Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love in your great mercy, would you turn to me? Would you answer me? I'm calling out to you, God, and I don't hear anything from you. So this happens to me all the time. I'll be in the van. I'm driving down the road, and I got a kid behind me who's asking me a question, and I'm, I'm off in Never Never Land, and I'm daydreaming or thinking about something, and then they ask it again, and then the third time, they're like, answer me, Dad. Answer me. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, wait, wait, w what are you saying, right? And the kid's like, are you even listening to me? That's what the psalmist is saying. Are you even paying attention to the, to the pillory that I'm experiencing right now? He says, don't hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. And it gets worse, for, for I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. And the only thing that's, that's worse than being in the pillory is thinking to yourself, I, I think I'm the only one in this pillory. I, I think I'm all by myself, and I can't find anyone else who can give me comfort in my time of need. Because misery loves company, but if you don't have company, it gets even worse. And now he just gets kind of mad, right, and kind of upset, because this is when you're in a season of suffering, you have the whole roller coaster thing. There's sadness, there's grieving, there's anger. Now he says, would you pour out your wrath on those people who are making my life difficult? Would you let your fierce anger overtake them? I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O oh God, protect me. And then we got the other aspect of the roller coaster ride here, as he says, but in the midst of it all, I will praise God's name in song, and I'll glorify him with thanksgiving. Because after all, at the end of the day, my purpose in life, my goal in life, my chief aim is that I would please the Lord. And I know that pleasing God in the midst of this pillarizing experience is better than sacrificing an ox. I, uh, I have a friend who's kind of a hero of mine who's been serving the church for years and decades. And her name is Marianne Fretz, and she's come upon a season where her health has gotten so bad that she's not even able to come into the office as much as she would like. She's not able to serve as much as she wanted to. And I called her last week just to kind of check up on her and see how she was doing. And I asked her, how are you getting through this difficult season? And she said, I, I read the Psalms. One of the things I do is I just read the Psalms, and it helps me to keep looking up. And here's the thing. If you're in the room right now or you're watching online and you're going through a season of struggle where you feel like you are stuck in the pillory, just by reading that Psalm, you feel a little bit more encouraged right now, don't you? And I, I didn't even necessarily give you a, like a step or a plan or an action other than to just read it. Because when we read the struggles of the saints of the past, it just 
brings us a little bit of encouragement. So read the Psalms when you're going through a hard time. I want to give you a, a second example. Um, this is from the life of one of the great Old Testament prophets named Elijah. And Elijah, James chapter 5 says Elijah was a man just like us. And I read that and I'm like, well, well really? Because, I mean, I didn't do the kind of miracles that he did. So he was a miracle worker, which is a little bit hard for me to relate, a lot hard for me to relate to. But he was also a human who struggled with extraordinary depression at one moment. So I want to tell you his story in just a moment. So one day, here's Elijah living in the land of Israel, and there are hundreds and hundreds of prophets of the pagan god Baal. And they're leading all of the Israelites astray. It's bad. It's so bad that God held back the reins to get their attention. And so Elijah says, we got to do something about this. So he calls all of these prophets of Baal on top of the mountain called Carmel. And they gather up there, and he says, okay, you guys, you take as much time as you need. See if your gods will light this sacrifice on fire. Right? And all these, these prophets are gathering around the, the altar, and they're slashing themselves because they think that's going to get the gods' attention. And they're singing songs, and they're worshiping, and they're doing everything that they can to get the gods to light this altar on fire, but it doesn't do anything, and Elijah's just sitting there talking smack to them, saying, maybe your gods are sleeping, maybe you need to talk louder, maybe you need to dance a little more, you know, and nothing's working, and they finally give up, and Elijah's like, step aside, and he just calls down, or calls up to the powerful one and only true God, you know, and he, he lights the, the thing on fire, even though it's soaked with water. And all of the people say, my paraphrase, they say, wow, there is only one God. And in that moment, the people rededicate their lives to the Lord, and the prophets of Baal are no more. And you look at that story, and you think to yourself, man, Elijah must have been on cloud nine. He must have, he must have felt so inspired by the, the work of God, and he he must have gone out and had a revival and thousands of people gave them their lives to the Lord and it was just awesome. Well, you know what happens right after this, after this mountaintop experience? Queen Jezebel, the king's wife, is so mad. She says, I'm going to kill this man. And Elijah literally runs away for his life. And the way it's described in 1 Kings chapter 19 is he, Elijah, went a, a day's journey into the desert because he's just trying to flee this woman. And he came to a broom tree. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I mean, you talk about a roller coaster. And he says, I've had enough. I have had enough of this woman and her husband Ahab dishonoring the Lord. Now they're trying to kill me. I'm exhausted. I'm done. God, would you just take my life? And this wasn't like take my Lord and let it be consecrated to thee, you know, surrender. This is like I want to die. And so he, he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep hoping that he would not wake up. This great prophet who had just seen God do this amazing thing is now suicidal. And he, he is quite, quite figuratively, he's, he's in the pillory with Jezebel trying to get him. And he's like, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. 
I just want to be gone. Would you just take my life? And God, in his goodness, sends an angel to take care of him and to refresh him, give him a little bit of food. Some raven shows up. It's about the only good thing a raven has ever done. Shows up and gives him some food and refreshes him, and he's okay for a while. Then, then the angel comes back a second time, and he touched him, and he said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Just like Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. And he ends up at Mount Horeb, the mountain of the Lord, inside of a cave. Right? And now he's going to let it rip to God. <laughs> and he's going to say, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I mean, I, I put my life on the line in front of all these prophets of Baal. I've been trying to speak the truth. And now this lady's coming after me. You're going to do something about it, right? I've been very, very zealous. I just want you to know, God, you know, because as if you don't know, right? The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left, right? Because misery loves company. But when you don't have company, the misery gets even worse. And now they're trying to kill me too. And here's what, what happens when you're in the pillory, right, and when you're in a season of suffering, you oftentimes start to lose perspective because there were actually 7,000 prophets that had been put aside, that God had been protecting. But he lost perspective, and he's like, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's following you, God. Why didn't you do anything about it? And after a series of events, God speaks to Elijah in a gentle whisper. And, and this is how God likes to speak sometimes. Not in a big fire. Not in a miracle, even though we love miracles. Sometimes the way God loves to speak is just through a gentle whisper. Just by, just by sitting down with the scriptures. Go back to some of those Old Testament prophets or the Psalms. And we just get quiet before the Lord in our cave. And we just let him speak. And it doesn't have to be a lot of verses. doesn't have to be tons of times. Sometimes God will speak to you in the first verse. Sometimes he'll speak to you in the second verse or the fifth chapter. But if you get before the God, the God of the universe, he'll speak to you. And it's going to be in a gentle whisper. But he'll speak to you because he wants to encourage you in your season of difficulty. He wants to encourage you when you feel like the hits just keep on coming. Because he loves you. And he cares for you. And sometimes he's going to send a raven. Sometimes he's going to send an angel. Sometimes he's going to send someone unexpected. And sometimes he's just going to speak to you in a gentle, soft voice. And the question is, are you going to take the time to listen and to sit at his feet and to open up the scriptures so he can encourage you? Okay, one more example. One more example of encouragement comes from the life of Jeremiah, who's also known as the weeping prophet, because this guy experienced a ton of suffering. Because one day, God says to Jeremiah, this is about 600 B.C. He says, look, none of the people are following me. 
just like what Elijah experienced. They're all worshiping multiple gods and goddesses. I want you to go in there and I want you to preach to them and tell them if they don't turn from their sin and if they don't start following me, they're going to lose the temple and they're going to lose their land and I'm going to send them into exile. And Jeremiah's like, really, that, that's the message I got to tell these people? Seriously? I mean, I can't tell them something nice. I can't give them a message of, like, you know, prosperity, and if you just follow God, he'll make things easy for you. God's like, no, I want you to speak the truth. I want you to stand in the middle of the temple courtyard as people are walking in, and I want you to tell them that if they don't forsake these other gods and start to follow me, they're going to lose it all. And Jeremiah's like, all right, so he starts preaching. He starts preaching, and the people are like, can you, can you shut this guy up? I'm trying to come to the temple, and i got to listen to this guy preaching every day. Right? So they throw him in the cistern, they throw him in the courtyard, and he's like, he's just like, repent, repent, as he's at the bottom of a well. He just does not give up. And then one day, one day, we, we're introduced to this man named Pashur. He's, the, he's, the, he's got a lot of power because he's the priest, and he's also the chief officer. So he's like the high priest as well as the chief of police. This man's got a lot of power. He's like, I am tired of this man preaching day after day, doomsday. We got a good life, man. We're all right. You know, I'm tired. Of so, so they heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. And so they beat him and they put him in the stocks. So he quite literally is now in a pillory with Pashur guarding him so that he can't lead the people astray. And so here he is sitting in the pillory, sitting in the stocks, right? Literally, like, not for me, 15 minutes, and I got, like, little soft, soft, squishy things thrown on my head. This is a man who's probably got, like, I don't know, I, I envision apples and pumpkins and, you know, whatever they could get just chucking at, at Jeremiah. And he would do the same thing that you and I would do. He would complain, complain to God. And he's like, God... You gave me an assignment that I thought would be good. I thought I'd get up there and preach and the people would listen to me. I thought I'd get up there and preach and they would do what I'm telling them to do. But, but you've actually deceived me. You ever say that to God? I mean, that'd be a bold thing to say to God. This is scripture, right? This is like the word of God. God, you've deceived me. Whew. You overpowered me and you prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Sounds like the experience that Christ had, right? But then he's like, but this is God's call on my life. So, so if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I can not. So you see the roller coaster, right? Because he's like, God, you deceive me. Then he's like, but I'm going to keep on preaching. And then he gets, you know, got, got another emotion going. He says, oh, Lord Almighty, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Will you get them? Will you get them? And then he's like, sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And then he's like, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. When it comes time for my birthday, y'all better not be singing happy birthday because it's not a happy day. 
Cursed be the day I was born. Don't give me a birthday gift. Don't sing happy birthday because that was not a good day. I don't even think I want to live anymore. Sing the Lydia. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? And you read the end of Jeremiah's story and the people end up getting shipped off to Babylon and he lives the rest of his life in exile in Egypt. And that's the end of his story. Thanks for coming to church today. Have a great day. You know, have... I mean, we love a happy ending, right? It's not really a happy ending for Jeremiah. So on Monday, I went to Darien Lake. This is my favorite ride. I love the mind eraser. I'm like, Daniel, come on. We got to do the mind eraser. And uh, you, could, you could jump in the middle of the train right away, but I'm like, no, we're, we're not doing the middle of the train. We got to do the front seat because the front seat, it, it looks like you're flying. You can't see the track underneath you. And it's just a blast. I'm standing in the front line, and it feels like forever, right? Because that front, it takes forever. We probably could have ridden the middle train five times before we did the front. We got to do the front. And so we get up to the front, and there's, these, there's this family in front of me of, of two small children and a mother, and they get on, but they're too short to ride it. So, they're, so the mom's like, well, I guess we got to get off. And I say to the mom, hey, I'll ride it. I'd, I'd love to ride. So I ride with this stranger kid. The mom's probably like, he's got a pink mohawk. I hope this doesn't go, doesn't go poorly. I hope this doesn't end well. And I ride, and I'm sitting here. Okay, so I'm, I'm sitting here in the front, the front of the train. And I am on cloud nine right now. I mean, I'm like, this is my favorite ride in the park. I love me some mind eraser. I get to ride the front seat twice. One with the stranger, and then the next one with Daniel. And after I rode it twice, I was so nauseous and my head hurt so bad, I thought to myself, I'm never riding a roller coaster for the rest of my life, and I had a headache the rest of the day, and, and it was just not fun. It was not fun. My mind was quite literally erased <laughs> as, a, as a result of riding the uh, mind eraser. So that's like a literal story of being on cloud nine and then riding the front seat, and now I'm down in the dumps and paying the price. And here's the truth. When you're in a season of suffering, Okay, that's how it is sometimes. You're on cloud nine, you're at the top of the roller coaster ride, and then it just seems like within moments you're like down in the depths and everywhere in between. And I just got to say, sometimes it's okay to not be okay. And sometimes it's okay to be up and down when you're in a season of suffering. That's what the psalmist experienced, that's what Elijah experienced, that's what Jeremiah experienced, and that was, that was Scripture. And you say, well, why do, why, do you, why do you share all that? It's because, it's because that's life sometimes. And just reading the experiences of some of these folks, it just brings us a little bit more encouragement. It just lightens our load just a little bit more. It just, as Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, it just, it helps our burdens get a little bit lighter. Now, I know what you're thinking right now, okay, because I can read your mind. Those of you watching online, I can read your, your mind too, and this is what you're thinking. You're like, okay. All right, Dave. The reason I'm encouraged right now is because I'm surrounded by all these people, and we're going to have a worship song at the end that's going to kind of get me, you know, and Dave, you kind of pick out the, the good verses, and you, you make it a little dramatic, and you tell a joke. That's why I'm encouraged right now. But when I sit at home, and I open up the scriptures, 
It's like the Old Testament is like bloody, confusing, and difficult. And if that's you, like when you open up the scriptures at home and that's your experience specifically with the Old Testament, I want to say to you, I, I, I get it because I have been there and I will be there again because I've got some struggles with the Old Testament that I'm still working through. So I'm not necessarily suggesting that you go through the entire Old Testament, though that could be helpful for you. I'm simply suggesting that if you are in a season of being pillarized, a season of struggle, that you just read the Psalms. Or you go back and read through the story of Elijah. Or you read through the struggles of Jeremiah. Because just reading it slowly, not to try to read as much as you can, but to to be encouraged, you'll be encouraged. You'll be lifted up, and your burden will get a little lighter, even if your circumstances don't change. So Paul finishes out Romans 15 with with these last couple verses, or excuse me, these last couple verses that we're going to look at in this section. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus He wants to give you endurance, and he wants to encourage you and lift you up, even if he's not going to necessarily take you out of that pillory. There's a purpose, right? So that, with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because no matter what you're going through, you can still fulfill the purpose of your life, which is to glorify God, or as I like to say, to please God to always honor and please the Lord. So, reading the OT brings encouragement in your pillory. So when you go home today, this week, would you open up the Psalms and just read it slowly and say, God, would you encourage me? And here's what will happen. He'll encourage you, and it's usually through that gentle whisper. So get before the God of the universe who knows everything that you're going through better than even you understand it and allow him to speak to your soul in that gentle whisper that you might find encouragement in your pillory. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right now and uh, we're going to close with a song that goes like this. It says, if we look at the screen here, it says, When I walk through the waters, I won't be overcome, even though it might feel like it's up to my neck. And when I go through the rivers, I won't be drowned. Because my God, he'll make a way. Because if he's got a purpose in it, which he always does, he's going to make a way. He's before me. He's behind me. He's always beside me. There's no shadow There's no valley, there's no height, no depth, no creature in all creation that can separate you from the love of God. No shadow, no valley where you won't find me. So I'm not afraid because the flame's not going to scorch me and the water's not going to drown me because you got a purpose in the pain. And no matter what I'm going through, no matter the circumstances, I'm still going to open up those scriptures. And I'll tell you what, when you yell out to God, he can handle it. He can handle it. I mean, Jeremiah said, you deceived me. 
The psalmist said, God, would you destroy my enemies? You could say whatever you want to God because he can handle it. And my other encouragement to you is you might want to find one person who can be your lightning rod, who can take all of your pain and put it in the ground where you don't have to worry about it being spread to anybody else. So, would you do this? Would you go before the Lord? Would you open up His Word? Would you give Him the opportunity to encourage you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing? Because He loves you. And you don't need to be afraid because He's with you. So I want to give you about 30 seconds to just bow your heads. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. Even if you're watching online, if you could just do that for a moment and think about that thing. It's a relationship. It's a situation where the hits just keep on coming. And know that God sees you. Even if you can't feel him, he's there. Before you, behind you giving you endurance and giving you encouragement because he loves you and he's for you. God, we thank you for that truth. We praise your holy name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord through this song.